coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy hope day to you. We awoke with, again, good economic news. Inflation, by the way, down to 3% year over year in the month of June. We found that out this morning. That is down from 9.1% last June. We are back down to what are defined as pre-pandemic inflationary levels. So here we have yet another economic measure that shows that when the left is in control of the economy, political strategist Simon Rosenberg puts it best, the Biden economic success story, best economic recovery in the G7, Lowest peacetime unemployment rate since World War II. Lowest poverty and uninsured rate ever. Deficits down. Inflation down to 1.2% annualized, much lower than the European Union. That via the social media platform everybody's leaving, Twitter. Uh, he also said earlier today, it's about uh, seven hours ago, America's having a good summer. I mean, aside from the Canadian toxic fumes, America's having a good summer. We're finally getting to the other side of the shocks of COVID and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Growth is strong. Inflation and the deficit are way down. The stock market is on a good run. No recession on the horizon. Y'all, I have said this before. I will say it again. There is a reason why all of these wedge social issues are now the topic du jour of the month, of the summer, of the year for presidential candidates on the right and their pundits on Fox News and throughout. Inflation is at pre-pandemic levels. I'm telling you, this is why the right is harping on things like trans rights, immigration, et cetera, and so on. In other words, their message on the Biden economic agenda is useless to them because the Biden economy has averted a recession, one that they hoped for. Make no mistake, one that they hoped for. They didn't just predict, they were hopefully predicting. Mike Konzal, uh, again, at MT Konzal on Twitter. There it is, core inflation right at 2017 to 2019 levels. This is preloaded. And look, it's right there. He showed a graphic that goes well before that. This is after about nine months of it being stuck around 5%. More, when we look under the hood, there's reasons to believe this may continue, he says. Let's dive in. Looking at the three layers of inflation, the Fed has emphasized this is in units of contribution to inflation. All positive developments. Core goods at zero inflation. Shelter continuing its decline. That's home, housing, rental. The rest of the core goods has the lowest level since the recovery started. He goes on, I haven't said much because I didn't want to jinx it, but for the past three months, we've had zero goods inflation outside always volatile used car valuations. This was a big story of the recovery, the stubborn rise of goods after decades of slight deflation. Are we through this, he asks. And when you look at core services, it's just great. Even when you add restaurants to align it with PCE, we see declines across the board, even excluding shelter. This will bounce around, but recent trend is clear. I want to say this when President Biden and jo- Kevin McCarthy, what do I want to call him Joe McCarthy? Kevin McCarthy uh, negotiated, uh, averted a debt ceiling catastrophe months ago. Kevin McCarthy almost single-handedly handed Joe Biden his re-election platform. He did, because we averted that debt ceiling crisis that, 
again, the economy has been on a perilous razor's edge since the recovery started. Any one negative thing could have sent it off into an abyss. A debt ceiling default, one of those things that could have sent this nation's economy into an abyss. And Kevin McCarthy, I'm bewildered by this, chose to avert an economic disaster as opposed to letting it go asunder. And you're going to hear this from those on the right over the course of the presidential election cycle heading up to November 5th, 2024. There are going to be those on the right who are going to grouse and complain that Kevin McCarthy helped Joe Biden win. They're not saying what they need to be saying, which is Kevin McCarthy helped America avoid a recession. And look at me. I'm on the left. I'm giving Kevin McCarthy credit for helping us avoid a recession. First, let's congratulate Kevin McCarthy for helping the United States avoid a recession by ignoring the urgings of those on the right. And honestly, I didn't predict he'd do it. I really thought he was just going to purposely drive the bus off the cliff. Because I've lived 49 years on this planet long enough to know that Republicans tend to don't go country first. They go party first. Kevin McCarthy did the inexplicable. He made a show of, oh, look, deficit reduction. We, we made some deficit reductions, and, and they did. They did. He and Joe Biden negotiated on some issues that they could find some common ground to trim some fat. It, it wasn't enough, however, to derail, again, that that walking on a razor-thin tightrope uh, American economy. It, it didn't knock us over, nor did the debt ceiling, the nation defaulting on its debts. I'm still to this day sort of bewildered that Kevin McCarthy chose to seek common ground. But I'm also going to have to tip my cap and say, you know what? It's time to start giving Joe Biden some credit. As feeble as we may think he is, especially those of you on the right who just think he is <laughs> this completely aloof, lost, uh, they're now uh, the, 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 the running gag is he's actually angry all the time. Uh, curses people out. I mean, that's that's the you know uh, unnamed sources stuff. Now he's uh, the angry old man. Before it was he uh, is obviously losing his cognitive abilities, and yet they keep they keep getting beat by the guy at the poker table, the political poker table. They keep getting beat by the guy who has declining cognitive abilities. Well, I mean, what does that say about them? Instead, why don't we just look at it as those on the right? underestimate Joe Biden, a lot of us on the left have as well. I am raising my hand among those. I have said since he announced his re-election, before then actually, I was really hoping he wasn't going to run for re-election. And I'm still not sold that his running for re-election is a net positive for the Democratic Party. But as long as this man and his administration Come on in, Kamala. Give her some credit here. She doesn't get a whole lot. Maybe she doesn't. I don't know if she deserves it or not. I, we're going to assume she does. She's part of the administration. Part of the team. It's a team effort, right? Let's give this administration some credit. Because there have been urgings to go further left, more progressive on economic policy. And make no mistake, 
Biden and Bernie Sanders, there's probably a hotline between the two of them. The right has pointed out often, especially early in the Biden presidency, how often those two were in consultation and collaborating on the American recovery. Let's give Bernie some credit too then. But there were those on the extreme left, the progressive left, and I'm a Bernie guy, y'all, who wanted more, got to do more. And then there were those on the right, got to cut, got to do less. And they knew what they were doing. They knew that draconian cuts to government spending in a, again, perilous, walking on a razor-thin, tightrope American economy could teeter in any direction into the cliff. They knew that draconian cuts were going to derail the recovery and send this country into recession. So much so that they were predicting that recession. So much so that a lot of their pundits and a lot of economists who just know how Republicans are were predicting a recession. A recession that, as of right now, looks like isn't going to come to the United States. It may be affecting the rest of the world, but it is yet to come to the United States. And so I would say, my fellow lefties, my fellow moderates, my fellow libs, my fellow progressives, it's time to give the feeble old man a little bit of credit. He has tap danced around a lot of landmines, any of whom could have gone off. And they haven't. We are enjoying an economy that could have gone a lot worse given the circumstances. I said this yesterday when I was playing the clip of the, uh, the it's like another never-Trumper movement that's trying to convince us all just, uh, you know, how damaging another Trump presidency or nominate or actually a nomination for the GOP would be because he'd lose again. Well, obviously, he's, he's a loser. But they were also talking just how, how terrible shape the country's in. And I'm like, what are we talking about here? The economy is in really good shape, all things considered. And we're in a global era, so you have to consider all things. Outside the borders, you have to consider all things. While the rest of the world is struggling to recover, the U.S. has kind of come through unscathed. <laughs> Old Joe with the aviators, he's done it again, y'all. He, he's been underestimated by the lot of us, and he's come through again. So the question is, how the hell does he deliver this message to the American people so that it gets through to them? Because the polls say that eh, they don't trust him with the economy. What are you guys not seeing? Tell me what you aren't seeing. Are you looking for a drastic drop in grocery prices, uh, gas prices, clothing price? Are you looking for drastic cuts? Well, okay, look, consumer, we're, we're to blame for a lot of that. We are. We're to blame for that. Saw this article just the other day. Uh, I believe this is Yahoo Finance. Here it is. Yahoo Finance. Uh, what does this headline say? Middle-income Americans' credit card usage and debt on the rise. Y'all, we put a lot of stuff on the card thinking we'll, we'll get around to that later. We'll, 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 pay, we'll pay for that. A little, little bit of interest. That's fine. We, we, we just want to keep living. We want to keep going on vacation. We want to keep traveling. We want to keep consuming as much as we had before. We didn't tighten our belts. We didn't have to go through. And I... And I I want to say I, I said something back when inflation was roaring at its worst that there was never this conversation from a Joe Biden, a fireside chat that said, listen, got to tighten your belts, y'all. I understand inflation sucks. It's global. It's bad. It's bad everywhere. There's no avoiding it. The only way to negate some of the effects is to tighten your belt a little bit. FDR used to do this during World War II. I'm not saying that we were going through World War II, but we were going through a 
once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic. And so we didn't do that. And because we consumed, businesses figured, well, we can just keep raising prices because they're just going to keep buying it. And we did. We kept buying it. And it's all in the card now. So that's going to come on us. And there'll, there'll be that day we have to rue that, and we're just going to have to rue that. But by and large, consumer confidence has to have been pretty good if they were like, well, just put that on the card. The economy will be doing fine in the next couple of years. Well, guess what, y'all? It's been two years plus since Joe Biden's been in office. The economy's still doing good. No recession yet. Inflation back down to pre-pandemic levels. Unemployment at historic lows. And Joe Biden is polling at under 35% when it comes to the economy. Make it make sense, y'all. Make it make sense. It doesn't. Well, here I am taking the victory lap for him. Later in the show, Jeff Graham from Georgia Equality joins us to talk about some of the issues uh, post-Pride that still linger for LGBTQ plus Americans. That's on The Ron Show, America One Radio, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. Last night, how many of you actually watched the MLB All-Star Game? I did. I haven't watched that in years, honestly, but... I don't know, something about it made me want to watch. Uh, well, okay, here's one. The fact that there's a writer strike and there's just nothing else to watch right now. My God, the reality shows and game shows. What, what happened to network television? Everything is game shows. Ne- Judge Steve Harvey, he is not a lawyer or a He ain't got no degree for that. I'm not, no, I don't care. So yeah, I watched the MLB All-Star Game. There was a time when we'd all gather as Americans and watch things like the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, the World Series, the NBA Finals, NBA All-Star, because we only had four channels. And that was reality TV before reality TV. Thank you, Kardashians. So I did watch last night. Uh, I marveled at, by the way, I don't think this this uh, venue gets enough uh, airtime. The stadium in Seattle is simply gorgeous. It's on my bucket list. I do want to go see that ballpark at some point in time. And now that the Braves have to play every team every season. That's the way the new schedule works out. I think it's like every other year they'll wind up playing in Seattle. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen very soon. So I'm looking forward to that. By the way, uh, the Braves players, there were eight of them, by the way. Uh, I think all but two played. The two pitchers who, uh, Bryce Elder and, um, oh, I'm I'm dying here. I'm dying here. Who is the other guy? Uh, Spencer Strider. That's right. Looks a lot like my ex-brother-in-law. Um, anyway, they didn't pitch because they just pitched recently and, you know, they like pitch on five days rest. So, um, everybody else did really well. Uh, Ozzy Albies played, uh, Acuna nearly hit a home run to start the game. Uh, Austin Riley, sterling defense. He really shined, uh, at third base as by the way, did catcher Sean Murphy, who I think threw out two players at second base trying to steal. So good on him. I, I know you didn't come here to listen to sports, but I, I promise this is going somewhere. So, because the Major League Baseball All-Star Game is kind of like the gathering of all uh, team higher-ups and uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, and they like to have a little Q&A with the media and look how great the game... And great, the game is doing very well. Uh, TV audiences are up this season. Attendance is up, I want to say, like 9% year over year. The speed of the game has gotten better because they added the pitch clock and they, they are using larger bases. There's more stolen bases. There's just so much that's been done to the game, tinkering with the rules-wise from last year to this year. The game is so much more watchable. And they're usually over in like two and a half hours. Not last night, of course, because it's the All-Star game. you got to do the prolonged introductions and all the fanfare and blah, blah. It was a three and a half hour game. Nonetheless, Rob Manford said uh, in a Q&A session with reporters 
that Atlanta is now in the mix of clubs for the 2025 All-Star Game. I'm not prepared to go past that right now. Um, two years ago, Atlanta lost the game uh, and uh, the economic impact. And there are arguments to be made about you know what kind of impact uh, an event like that has. Um, in fact, a lot of local Republicans still mad about that. So anyway, uh, that happened two years ago. Atlanta lost the MLB All-Star Game because of the passage of the uh, voter suppression bill, we will call it what it is, uh, uh, SB202. So now I'm wondering, like, Commissioner Manford, here's my question at your Q&A session. What's changed? Why Why have you decided to just, like, tuck tail and say, all right, we're, we're going to give it to Atlanta after all? It's not going to win folks back towards his side. I don't understand the point. And, and listen, I'd love to have something like that in Atlanta. Truist Park is a fantastic venue. Love the battery. Wish it had a Marta line. Also wish there weren't so many tax incentives that taxpayers have to wind up footing the bill for that went into that because Liberty Media, owner of the Braves, have done very well since Truist Park opened. In fact, the Braves are being spun off. Liberty Media is now basically selling the team off. You can buy shares of the Atlanta Braves as its own entity uh, later this month. By the way, I'll try and find some links so that if you want to do that, you can find that out uh, in in the show notes at ronshowatl.com. That's right. You can own a piece of the Atlanta Braves. I'm going to buy a piece of the Atlanta Braves. Why not? I can actually say, oh yeah, I'm 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 an owner of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm going to their game Friday. They're doing like a, a pregame soiree with uh, uh, my LGBTQ plus softball league board members. On it. So it's kind of fun. Looking forward to that. Maybe I'll uh, hit them up and say, um, where do I purchase a piece of this team? I understand that a piece of the team is up for sale. So again, I don't really understand what Rob Manfred's uh, point here is. I will say it has been now 23 years since the city of Atlanta hosted an all-star game. That was back in the year 2000. Uh, I believe was Chipper Jones, the MVP. I know he had a home run. Um, and that of course at Turner field. So there are, I think only a handful of current baseball stadiums that have never hosted an all-star game. Truist park being one of those four or five, uh, that dump in Tampa, they just played in over the weekend being the other one. And I think they're holding out, they're waiting on Tampa to get its act together and get a new stadium. Obviously, uh, the team, Owners being billionaires, they're not going to spend that money. They're going to wait on taxpayer dollars to come for it. So that may take a little while, but we're hearing some movement on it. Anyway, I just thought I'd point out that it it looks like Atlanta may again be in the mix for another all-star game with Major League Baseball. And I'm a little befuddled as to what changed, Mr. Manfred, that you are now not so much uh, making a statement vehemently opposed to SB202 now that it's been passed into law. Just a curious decision. Okay, I don't want to touch too much on the uh, Representative Misha Maynard situation before we have uh, our guest tomorrow. Uh, veteran political strategist uh, Leo Smith reached out, wants to be on the show, so we'll have him on to discuss school vouchers, education in general, the Misha Maynard situation. Uh, I did want to pass on a, a couple of things that I found uh, interesting of note. Um uh, Georgia State University law professor Anthony Michael Kreese, who uh, used to be a regular on Political Rewind, uh, tweeting this yesterday, something weird re-Mainer defection is its Pareto optimality. And by that, he kind of means it's like a win-win-win for everybody, but maybe except her. Uh, Dems are rid of her. 
That's a win. And it doesn't change the balance of power. That's true. So it's not really a win for Republicans. She avoids fighting and losing a primary. Might even get a new gig. The GOP has a headline. So it's a win for them. And when Richard Woods, state superintendent, is up for office, when his term is up, she'll be forgotten by two years. He said in a follow-up tweet, I honestly haven't seen a win-win-win-win scenario in politics quite like that. Greg Bluestein even chiming in on this tweet. And even many Democrats think she could have prevailed in a primary had she not defected. So they're happy she defected. For perspective on the right side of the aisle, hate to be the turd in the punch bowl, but this is bad for school choice, according to Veteran GOP strategist Chip Lake, that in today's AJC jolt column, she can't win as a Republican in that district. And what incentive would a Democrat have now to support any meaningful legislation on parental choice? Again, we'll dive more into the Misha Maynard situation tomorrow with veteran political strategist Leo Smith. Jeff Graham, Georgia Equality, up next on The Ron Show, America One Radio, or wherever you podcast. Take The Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One radio. Jeff Graham joins us from Georgia Equality. And uh, as the calendar flips into July, we are long overdue for a catch-up. Jeff, how are you? I am doing well, all things considered. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ron. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Doing fine myself. So uh, again, as we flip to July, we have uh, new policies in effect. We're also out of Pride Month. Uh, Pride Month, and I, I feel like as as a LGBTQ plus community, we kind of limped out of Pride Month a little more wounded than we walked in. How, how do you feel after a month of celebrating? <laughs> well, certainly uh, ending uh, the the month uh, with the Supreme Court decision in three hundred three creative was was not the best way to end the the month that is that is definitely true but uh you know for those of us at georgia equality for those of us uh you know especially lgbtq folks in dekalb county um there are reasons to be hopeful going forward yes and on that note let's talk about uh dekalb county's uh non-discriminatory proclamation uh unanimous vote by the dekalb county commission tell me what that means for the LGBTQ plus person that lives in DeKalb County. Yeah. So Ron, first of all, it's, uh, they had done a proclamation earlier. Uh, so this is more than a proclamation. This is an actual ordinance. Mm-hmm. It is a law. Um, uh, the law itself, um, I creates prohibitions on discrimination in public accommodations, uh, and in the hiring practices of the County itself. So uh, while we're a little disappointed that it didn't go as far as some of the other ordinances uh, have have gone in terms of uh, protecting private employment and housing, um, uh, this is still a major step forward, uh, not just for the LGBTQ community, but for so many other marginalized communities that fear discrimination uh, in, in this time. So... Again, just real briefly, the reason that that we need this is that uh, you know public accommodation law on a federal level does not explicitly include sexual orientation, gender identity, or sex, um, uh, and uh, there is no state level broad civil rights law here in Georgia that broadly uh, prohibits discrimination in employment, housing, and public accommodation. So that's why these local ordinances. Um, are incredibly important. 
Uh, we've been in conversations with folks at DeKalb County for a number of years. Mm -hmm. uh, and this one, again, it does include sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm -hmm. uh, it also protects insects. So that's uh, something that the federal law does not. Uh, it also includes uh, you know, protections for uh, people based on race, nationality, disability, age, uh, religion. Um, there is language in there uh, around uh, the Crown Act, uh, which uh, looks at hairstyles, especially mm. uh, African-American women mm -hmm. uh, who do wear a natural hairstyle uh, so that they cannot be discriminated against in that. That's an important addition that uh, it was getting a little overshadowed uh, because of the focus on LGBTQ issues. But in, in, in short, it's a very strong ordinance. And where we really see so much discrimination these days is in the area of, of public accommodations. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was pleased that they went unanimously to support this uh, just a few days after the Supreme Court, for the first time, began to backtrack civil rights protections in the area of public accommodations. Um, and then very specifically uh, for members of the LGBTQ community. So I think it also makes an important statement that DeKalb County is going to move forward to protect folks um, and to make sure that that Supreme Court decision is as limited as it can legally be. So on that note, though, when you parse uh, a non-discrimination policy like DeKalb County's newest, with the 303 creative decision by the Supreme Court, there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of unknown. Like, where do we draw the line on what a public accommodation is? Just this week, we saw a Traverse City, Michigan salon, a hair salon of all places. Come on now. That's our spot. Anyway, uh, <laughs> a Traverse City <laughs> hair salon has decided if you're going to come in and, uh, you know, make known your pronouns, uh, we're not going to serve you. So, I mean, is, is not getting a haircut a a public accommodation as well. We're going to have to start defining what these accommodations are. Are we? I mean, are we just going to glut up the court with what is or what isn't a public accommodation? Well, I actually think that's part of what we need to do. Um, mm. I, you know, the Supreme Court ruling um, was a little vague. I, I, you know, they they really didn't define what an expressive uh, uh, service was. Right. I, uh, you know, I, and, and I think that uh, a lot of reasonable individuals might be able to see where it is an individual photographer or a speech writer mm -hmm. or in the specifics of 303 Creative, a web designer. Right. And those were some of the professions or services that were spelled out mm -hmm. in, in Justice Gorsuch's uh, opinion. Uh, but then when we get into something like a hair salon, uh, suddenly we start seeing the dangers that um, uh, Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor uh, talked about in her uh, dissenting mm -hmm. uh, opinion, um, that instead of this being a na very narrow decision, it might be used to open up the doors of discrimination and set a very negative precedent. Yeah. And so... I do think that uh, uh, folks should continue 
uh, to, 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 to press forward if they have been denied services. Now, on the, the flip side of this, and this is something that immediately I got started getting questions about, well, why do LGBT folks, why do same-sex couples seek out uh, someone to do a wedding website that they know um, uh, does not want to work with, with members of the LGBTQ community. Yeah, but there's a catch and, to that. Would, yeah. And there is, a, there is a catch to that, specifically yeah. in this case. Mm-hmm. But first of all, um, it is highly suspect that there was ever a same-sex couple that approached this website designer right. uh, asking her for her services. Um, in the same instance here, uh, you've got a business, uh, a hair salon, making a proactive statement that they don't want to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, members of, uh, well, I, I guess they would say probably uh, folks who identify as transgender uh, or gender nonconforming um, or non-binary. Uh, but frankly, we all have pronouns that we use. <laughs> right? so we all state our pronouns. There should be nothing controversial around that. So um, I, I think that the Supreme Court here has has opened up uh, more avenues uh, of of potential lawsuits than answering questions. Um, uh, but in general, people don't seek out to be discriminated against. True, discrimination happens to them when they least expect it, and so uh, that's what these laws are designed to prevent. And I think people should still exercise their rights if they feel that they have been discriminated against. I think we now are starting to see, unfortunately, a hearkening back to some of the worst times in our history mm-hmm. when it comes to discrimination against marginalized groups where people are literally putting out signs of their business, we refuse to serve members of the LGBT community. Um, we've seen this in the past. It is bad when it happens, mm-hmm. and it is wrong when it happens. It is, it goes against the American ideals when it happens. And so, uh, I don't believe that this Supreme Court decision is the end of uh, the our, our 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 quest for public accommodations. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're you're right. I think you I think you said earlier a reasonable person can make some sense of not wanting somebody to decorate your cake for your gay wedding or to print a or make a sign or or do a painting on your behalf for you and your spouse if they don't agree with that sort of marriage okay fine you you honestly probably wouldn't want somebody working on your behalf anyway so i I think there can be but but again there's there's so little definition as to what an expressive service is if I go to a print shop and say, I need you to photocopy or, or make copies of my uh, wedding invitations, and the person says, no, well, I, I didn't ask you to make the wedding invitation. I'm just asking you to make copies of the wedding invitation. Right. And then they refuse to do so. Th- then, I mean, that's not really an expressive service. Photocopying, printing is not an expressive service. Creating the product is, but so I, again, there's just a lot of gray area. We're with Jeff uh, Graham from Georgia Equality talking about some of the latest headlines facing the LGBTQ plus uh, in, in recent days. So you, you talked about how marginalized Americans in American history have been refused service before, and we know what that history looks like. I would also argue that there seems to be an effort, particularly on the right, to try and divide 
marginalized communities against one another. We just saw the affirmative action case where we had uh, Asian American families who were pushing back against affirmative action at uh, places of higher learning. I also seem to notice that there seems to be an effort to try and separate the L, the G, the B from the T, the Q, the IA+. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, no, very, very, very much. Um, I, I, and, and there is the, the old adage of, of divide and, and conquer. Right. Uh, in fact, it just so happens earlier today, um, and I'll do a shameless plug for them. I, I, I attended a meeting uh, that uh, as part of it, we went through uh, the Bremen Jewish Heritage Museum and looked at their Holocaust exhibit mm. uh, before we uh, then had our conversation mm. uh, about uh, exactly these issues. Um, how do we resist the efforts to be broken apart as mm. marginalized communities? Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I would encourage anybody who's never seen that to go down and look at that because it can be it's incredibly powerful. Mm. Um, and and that is exactly what has happened. It has been exactly what has been used time and time again um, uh, uh, by uh, forces um, to, to 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 really push through bad, horrible policies to gain power um, is by keeping marginalized communities apart. And um, uh, and so one, we need to understand this and we need to reject this mm-hmm. as individuals. And as a movement, mm-hmm. um, I feel pretty solid that the movement is rejecting it um, and has rejected it. Uh, but I also think that we now are uh, in a place that there are some members of the lesbian and gay community, um, maybe some folks in the bisexual community as well, um, that uh, are expressing concerns that, well, maybe transgender folks uh, should should be on their own. Mm. Um, uh, so first of all, we know that the root of all of this uh, is around uh, decision-making over what people do with their own bodies in the privacy of their own homes. Uh, it is this sense of a right to privacy mm-hmm. that frankly I would say is under attack um, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade uh, with the Dobbs decision last year, really mm-hmm. calling into uh, uh, into question um, whether uh, how how far the Fourteenth Amendment actually goes to provide a right to privacy. And I would remind folks uh, who may feel that sexual orientation is somehow protected and divorced from gender identity that first of all we all have a gender identity, so right. we are also protected uh, under those same laws. But more importantly, um, I, you know, Justice Thomas made it very clear last year in his opinion hey, he's that coming he for would us. love to see the sodomy laws yep. return, or uh-huh. at least uh, look at the ruling uh, in 2003 that overturned sodomy laws around the country. Mm. So uh, it's not just the transgender community that is under attack. When we look at curriculum, don't say gay laws, uh, that we've seen uh, in Florida accounts of a uh, same-sex couple that was denied the ability to, to buy a onesie uh, that said, I love my gay dads mm. uh, or love my two dads. Mm-hmm. You know, So mm-hmm. uh, it, there, there is no way to separate this 
um, people who uh, make that argument, and frankly, I think it's an extremely small minority, um, usually of some very conservative uh, folks that have uh, more that, that they're more interested in pushing conservative politics. And mm. frankly, I think folks that are suggesting that there be a separation in movements um, are burying their heads in the sand. They 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 don't know history. Um, either the history of our own movement and why it's important to stay together right. or a broader history of how social justice movements have to rely upon each other um, and find that strength within diverse coalitions to protect human and civil rights. Um, I, and I would, again, an obliviousness that I think it comes uh, stems from privilege uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, I make that argument a lot about uh, the, the log cabin, you know, gay Republicans you see. By and large, you can take a look at them in a group and you'll notice that there's some certain characteristic that they all share. But I'm going to leave that on the table. We're with Jeff Graham, Georgia Equality. We've got just a few more minutes. Got a few more questions I want to ask you back after a break here on The Ron Show. to the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. We're back with Jeff Graham from Georgia Equality. So we just got out of Pride Month. It seems like we saw a little bit of backtracking from some of the more tried and true pro LGBTQ plus brands. Jeff, what are your thoughts on the way Target just sort of shriveled and disappeared come Pride Month with what we came to expect over the last decade when we walked into a store in the month of June? Yeah, well, it's very disappointing that there was a backtracking on this while I still appreciate the business community and how, frankly, I think the business community in many ways over the last 20 plus years has led mm-hmm. in diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Right. I think it, it shows that there is a vulnerability of just feeling that if the business community is on your side, that one, they're always going to be on your side, and that two, uh, that also means that that's all you need to, to do. Right. Um, Uh, We have to continue to work with faith communities. We have to continue to work with political leaders. And frankly, at the end of the day, we all need to continue to do the work of changing hearts and minds. And then, you know, when it comes to the corporate situations, and and I will be clear, Georgia Equality did sign on to the public letter that HRC, GLAAD, and other national organizations released expressing concerns uh, around this backtracking. But, you know, as I've spoken to to folks in some other states on the ground, some of the things that had actually happened, uh, some of these uh, businesses were, were, I believe, in a a real precarious situation because they were getting bomb threats Mm -hmm. uh, in their stores. And I think that if we focus too narrowly on where a display was located. Or if at all. um, Or if at all, um, we lose sight of the greater rise of hatred Mm -hmm. and its connection to violence that is happening around us. I would rather focus less on what Target uh, or Anheuser-Busch did during Pride Month and focus more on the fact that we actually had Nazis marching in Macon and up in East Cobb County. Right. And those Nazis were bold enough to go after synagogues Mm -hmm. during Shabbat services. 
But that these same Nazis in Macon hung an effigy that was draped in a rainbow flag. Mm -hmm. And it is widely believed that this same group of Nazis, and these are self-described Nazis. This mm -hmm. is not me yeah. using a pejorative. Mm -hmm. They have also engaged in literature drops throughout the metro Atlanta area that attack members of the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm in addition to their anti-Semitism. And so I don't want us to get so focused on what happened in the business community that we lose sight of the fact that we have Nazis here in Georgia. <laughs> in 2023. That, that feel, in 2023 <laughs> that feel emboldened yep. enough to do this on a Friday afternoon before services and a Saturday when services are happening Fair enough. At, at synagogues. I also happen to have a theory that I think come next June, I think Target's going to roll back out their pride stuff anyway, no, knowing that they've got a security situation that they've had 11 months or 12 months to deal with under control. But that's uh, that's just a theory. We'll see when that happens. I got about two and a half more minutes. I want you to uh, catch us up. What is the latest, uh, litigiously speaking, when it comes to the trans uh, gender affirming care ban in the state of Georgia? A lot of states have had their gender affirming bans uh, struck down at the federal level. What's happening? Well, we're not a party to, to the lawsuit. So most of this is just uh, what I've heard uh, from uh, from uh, from uh, media coverage of it, uh, you know, the lawsuit was filed. ACLU is leading that lawsuit. Mm -hmm. HRC Southern Poverty Law Center and uh, some private law firms um, are supporting that effort as well. And so it's a, it's a great legal team. Folks in Georgia should feel very confident uh, that we've got some top folks that are working on this. They have sued on behalf of a number of kids who will be denied medical care um, under this new law, as well as the uh, national organization Transparent, mm. that is an organization that provides a variety of support services for families that have transgender youth. We've seen that in a number of places, these laws have already been struck down. There's been some preliminary hearings on this, but... Uh, we would not expect any actual action to take place until the next full hearing, August 10th and 11th, um, are this currently the scheduled dates of that, and we may have a ruling within late August. So again, if there are any families out there that have transgender kids, um, I would encourage you to reach out, become involved with a group like PFLAG or Transparent mm -hmm. so that you can kind of hear firsthand what's going on, to continue to get support. I will let folks know that Georgia Equality is working with our colleagues at the Campaign for Southern Equality to make sure that there are that there is a fund to help people get the care they need if they have to leave the state of Georgia to do that. There will be continued educational resources as well as financial resources available to folks as this law has now been implemented. Um, I do think it's important to point out that uh, this is the first anti-LGBT law to go into effect since the time in 2004 that the Constitution in Georgia was changed to prohibit legal recognition mm. of same-sex couples. And this is the first time since 1996 
that uh, a Georgia governor actually signed into law something that specifically harms the LGBT community. And again, 1996 mm-hmm. is when the Defense of Marriage Act was passed into law here in Georgia. So this should be a time that, that everybody is concerned about it because it really does send us back at least 20 years, yeah. if not closer to 30 years here in Georgia from, uh, in a sense of our, our legal standing as LGBTQ Georgians. Jeff Graham, Georgia Equality. I, I covered everything on my list. Everything on your list covered? I, I think that's it. Right. Um, I just appreciate you, Ron, invite me onto the show. I appreciate uh, folks listening to the program and continuing. Join us at Georgia Equality. Sign up to our Action Alert Network. We've got some things to celebrate as we continue to pass non-discrimination ordinances on a local level. We must work together to be prepared to fight against what we know will be coming at us in 2024. Absolutely. Jeff Graham, Georgia Equality, thanks for joining the Ron Show today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. All right, that'll put a lid on today's Ron Show tomorrow. Interesting conversation I expect to have with political affairs and political consultant Leo Smith. Leo reached out to me on Twitter and said, hey, I'd like to talk school choice, vouchers, education, Representative Misha Maynard, her circumstance, so that ought to be interesting. We'll talk with Leo tomorrow on the Ron Show. 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast afterwards. More at ronshowatl.com. See you tomorrow.